Uh, Mark chapter 8 this morning, uh, Jesus says this, Then he called the crowd to him among, along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grab a seat, friends. Well, it's a joy to be here uh, this morning as we begin a new year together. Uh, I just I just am overwhelmed with the goodness and grace of God this morning. I don't know about you. Just love it. We turn up <laughs> we turn up this morning after having our summer Sabbath like we always do. And there God is waiting for us, you know. Hello, Bay Vineyard. <laughs> Welcome, you know, it's good to see you. Come running towards us, big hug. And it's just like, oh, isn't he lovely? And, I, and as we've already said a whole bunch of times, it doesn't matter if if your devotional life was just awesome over summer or that absolutely rubbish, doesn't matter. <laughs> Isn't that great news? That he's just there waiting for us and as we look to him and, and lift our gaze to him, he's just like, yes! <laughs> and like the Bible says he rejoices over us with singing. Like Literally, there's this idea that he spins like a top over us. I just love the thought of an undignified God yeah. dancing for joy over you because of just how much he loves you. You know, uh, you're lucky you can't see Terry. Um, so I just, I just love that. So this morning, uh, just receive it, right? Just receive it. Isn't he kind? Isn't he good? I just, I'm so excited. And one of the things that I just feel for this year as we begin, just deeply as, as I've been praying over summer, and I had an uh, interesting summer, really good with the Lord, but I was very tired. And uh, so that's been good. He's spoken to me about a couple of things. And one of the things that he really clearly spoke to me about is just this whole thing of like, what is, we have to make decisions so that we can steward the presence of God well, right? We have to make decisions in our life so that we steward the presence of God well. And, And those decisions normally mean disappointing someone. The key to flourishing in Jesus is making friends with the feeling of disappointing people. So as I start this year, I had a conversation just before we, uh, we, we started our service with a couple of our production guys. I was like, I'm going to have to disappoint you about what I carry this year because I've, I've got to take seriously the thing of stewarding the presence of God. And I just dream this year for us that this is a whole, a whole new season for us as a church because we've been praying faithfully for more of him. But I just feel like this is a bit of a harvest year, not in terms of all this, but in terms of his presence that we'll just step into a new, new confidence of just in a sense of stewarding the presence of God. And I've just felt it in the room this morning. It's a sovereign thing. It's not something you can drum up. We don't hype him up. He comes down. We don't hype him up. He comes down. Uh, but this morning, just sorry, there's nothing to do with my sermon. <laughs> but, amen. All right. Come, on, come, Lord Jesus. We love you. Um, I had this moment over summer, and uh, maybe you did too, but like, wasn't, aren't the stars amazing? You know, like I finally slowed down enough to just stare at the stars for a bit. And so we're in Holiday Mahia and, and just sitting outside and like we saw shooting stars. And, and there's heaps of satellites out there now, eh? It's like, oh, these satellites going across. But just the planets and stars everywhere. And um, I've done lots of stupid things in my life, but I haven't done drugs. Um, but, but I suspect it helps in those moments because well, I, I don't really need the help, to be really honest, because I was just like, whoa, man, this is amazing, incredible. Just because when you stop and think about it, right, 
it's mental. Like there's this picture that you may have seen back in the day where the Voyager spacecraft turned around and took a last photo of Earth. And how far out was this? One, six billion kilometers away. That little speck there is Earth, right? It's like that's us right now. Just, it's just, I can't get my head around all of it, right? You're just like, whoa, this is incredible. And then, like, you go from the macro to, like, little micro, where it's like, I don't know, like, there are nerds out there that literally study an ant for their entire life and kind of don't get to the bottom of just the complexity and genius of ants and their colonies or whatever, you know? And so from every, and this is where in Romans 1 it says, you know, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from that which has been made, so that people are without excuse. In a sense, it's like, it's a pretty dumb question, is there a God, if I'm really honest? <laughs> right? I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I'm like, seriously? <laughs> like, Romans 1 is pretty clear. You look around, man, it's like, whoa, something. Like, like the whole fine-tuning argument of the universe drives atheists up the wall. <laughs> it's just insane. It's miraculous. Um, and this is where, you know, some scriptures say it's stupid not to, to believe it. So I think the question is not for most people, is there a God? I think for most people, the question is, does he care? Right? It's not like, is there a God? It's like, does he actually care? And the beautiful thing about the Bible is it tells the story of this creator God, this God who is hugely generous, whose overflowing love leads to creation, the creation of the world, and supremely in the gospel story, that that God has come in our midst in Jesus. Uh, in Colossians 2, it says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Hebrews 1 tells the story of the Bible, effectively. that It says this, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him he also made the universe. I, this is one of my favorite lines in Scripture. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of of his being. So that says, if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. And that, friends, is good news. That's gospel good news. God, uh, the Puritan says, uh, Thomas Goodman said, Christ is love covered in flesh. How beautiful. One of the books that I've been reading um, over summer is this book uh, by John Mark Comer, who I'm a serious fanboy of, as you'd know well. Um, and this came out just last week. And I'm halfway through it, uh, and we. This is by my little mind to smithereens. This little book, and we're going to uh, encourage this as mandatory reading. Bay Vineyard Church, uh, and if you uh, want to stay in Bay Vineyard, you have to read it. Uh, we're going to be checking up on people. If you don't like reading, you get to go to an audible copy or whatever. Uh, and we'll probably do a sermon series through this later in the year. Anyway, one of the most brilliant books I've read in a long time. And in the opening chapter, he says this, I love it. He says, I'm one of the many people who have found Jesus of Nazareth to be the most radiant light to ever grace the human scene. He says, I'm an avid reader, and I know John Mark Hummer a little bit, and like avid reader means like two or three books a week avid reader, like freak when it comes to reading, freaky and genius, annoyingly large brain. He says, I've peered inside the minds of some of history's greatest thinkers. All of them have laudable traits and, not some, and some not so laudable ones too. But the longer I live and learn, the more I'm convinced that Jesus has no real competition, ancient or modern, 
In my uh, estimation, neither thinker, philosopher, leader, or philosophy or ideology has the coherence, sophistication, and deep inner resonance than of Jesus in his way, much less the staggering beauty. In our secular age, the air we breathe is filled with skepticism, NUI, distrust of all authority, and the bending of truth to desire and feeling. That's a phenomenal line. Inside this cultural atmosphere, we are all doubting Thomas. But even on the days when I struggled to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be, spoiler, more than just a rabbi, I want to believe. I want Jesus' vision of life in the kingdom of God to be true. I resonate at a soul level with the disciple Peter's conclusion, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I stand or really walk with a vast multitude of others around the world down, the, down through history who have come to believe there is simply no better way, truth or life to be found than that of Jesus. That is just so articulate and brilliant and I couldn't agree more. And so uh, I, I just, you know, I don't know about you, but over summer I just fell more in love with Jesus. <laughs> just love, and it's like it's more than just his teaching. It's like there's a sense where I've experienced him. It's not like I believe in the resurrection, like there's a whole lot of historical data around that, but it's like, but more than that, this isn't just some theory or some teaching. This is a person I feel like I know. I feel like I have had transcendent moments of encounter with this Jesus. Like I've experienced his love. So my, my knowing of him is not just intellectual. It's like an experience of his goodness and his grace and his light and his beauty and the hope that we find in him. And so we have to respond to this revelation of who Jesus is. And the Apostle Paul wrote, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And he says this in Romans 10 and 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So, so Paul's saying when we say that Jesus is Lord and, and when we really mean that and we trust the Jesus story in our hearts, there's something about our faith and our speech that come together to ignite our spiritual lives. And that's salvation. But notice that Paul doesn't say, uh, he doesn't call us to embrace the reality that Jesus is Saviour. He tells us that when we embrace Jesus as Lord, we get him as Saviour thrown in. Hallelujah. But here's the issue. In the Western church, we've focused so much on Jesus as Saviour, we've lost the sight that He's actually supremely Lord. And the, the confession of faith isn't that you're my Saviour, it's that you're my Lord. Which changes not only what happens when we die, hallelujah, but actually has a huge impact on how we live today, if He's actually Lord. Is He Lord, friends? Is He Lord? And so Jesus looks us in the eye, and every single one of us, He looks us in the eye and says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Follow me and your soul will flourish. Follow me and your life will have deep meaning. Follow me and I will comfort you in your suffering. Follow me and you will be filled increasingly with my joy and with my peace and with my love. Come, follow me. Learn to walk with me, to walk into a life that is whole and life-giving and free and deep. And so if we're wise, we will say yes to that invitation. Not, not just to believe, but to follow Jesus. Yes, I want to be your disciple, Jesus. But the interesting thing is that it's not just a one-off yes. It's an ongoing yes to Jesus. Super annoying, but true, right? Like I thought that when I became a Christian, which happened about 15 times over my teenage years because I kept walking away and then go to a camp and come back to Jesus and repent and, and we break up with a girlfriend and it's like, all right, now we're in, you know? And it's like, all those. But it's like, it's an ongoing yes to Jesus. And this morning, there's an invitation to say yes again to Jesus. 
And Ronald Rollheiser, in his outstanding book, Sacred Fire, which you've heard me bang on about a lot, says this, the invitations that come to us from Scripture, particularly from Jesus, meet us in very different ways at different times in our lives. We hear them in one way when we are young, and in a different way in middle life, and a different way again when we're old and facing death. Moreover, not all of Jesus' invitations ask for the same level of response at a given time in our lives. Some of his challenges are meant to bring us to a basic conversion. Some are meant to deepen that conversion. And still others are meant to take that conversion to its full term and make us full saints. At one stage of our lives, Jesus calls us to give up something for God. At another stage, he'll call us to give up everything. Sometimes God invites us to smaller conversions. Other times he invites us to martyrdom. So... uh, the question as we begin 2024 is, are you up for saying yes again to Jesus? For yes again to Jesus, to orientate his life around him, to pursue his presence, to be formed into a person of love and to live a life of cruciform blessing for others. Are you up for following the way of Jesus? Now, there's a nerdy term in, in theology called ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is basically like the theology of how churches function. Like, what are they, how do they work? Um, and so... As we look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, we've got to work out how does our church function. And so for the first number of Sundays, we're going to be exploring our ecclesiology. Like, what are we focused on as the priorities here at Bay Vineyard? And for a long time, because we've had a transactional understanding of our relationship with Jesus, a lot of churches have focused as the primary focus of a church is evangelism and seeing lost people come to faith in Jesus. Hallelujah, I'm all over that. But that's actually downstream from the primary call of the church, which is to be disciples and to make disciples of Jesus. When you get uh, that in your bones, all the stuff that pastors long to see happen, happens. And so uh, we've got to wrestle with what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? We've got to wrestle with that because Jesus himself said, many people say, oh, Lord, Lord, but, but he said, I didn't know you. And the danger, I know, you know, we've got a lot of South Africans in our church, and it's like the danger is that, as I've got to know your culture a whole lot more, is that the the scary thing is that South Africa is a Christian country, in inverted commas, so a lot of people think they're Christian. But are they disciples of Jesus? Because that is what matters. And so we have to, like, kind of detach from that and, and, and say yes to Jesus again and get converted again and say, yeah, I want to follow him. The vision of the New Testament is to see people be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Colossians uh, 1, 28, 29 says, He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, Paul says, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So the ecclesiology, like the thing that we're set up to do here at Bay Vineyard, uh, are these three things. Do you want to go to the next slide, Ramon? This is our our big things. We're pursuing the presence of God. We're dedicated to formation, to being disciples or apprentices of Jesus. And then, and out of that, we're deeply committed to living a missional expression and a missional life and to have that expressed both corporately and individually. So we're going to be exploring these over the coming Sundays, but let's just unpack them briefly this morning. So firstly, what does it look like for these three things to be the priority of our life? Because here's the thing, friends, this is so exciting. We've been living this for years now as a church. So this is not like, hey, here's the new thing we're doing this year. This is literally almost the same sermon I preached this time last year with a few new updates and whatnot, and you're going to hear it every year, okay? This is what we're about, and we're going to bang this drum a whole lot. So firstly, 
I love this because, again, here's the vision outworked, but we're going to continue this this, this year, and, and there, again, there's a real sense of expectation as we go into the year. But how can we pursue, be people that pursue His presence? And, and this has, like, what does it look like corporately to be people that are hungry after God? Like, like can you imagine if in a relationship, one of you was super keen and the other wasn't? Well, I imagine if I was like, hey, Jen, you know, look, at the end of the day, on our wedding day, I said, I do, and I said, I love you. Like, what's your problem? How come you're so needy that you need me to say it over and over again, you know? Valentine's Day coming up, we've got a birthday coming up in February. It's a busy month for me, February, in terms of just expressing my love for Jen. Uh, But there's something very dysfunctional in a relationship if it's only one-way traffic. And here's the thing, God is a person, And he loves being pursued. He loves that we hunger after him, express our love for him, that we don't just say we love him, but we follow it up with some actions. Can I have some wives saying, come on, preacher, brother, take us deeper, this is good. And, and, but here's the thing, friends, the most contested place in the life of a church and the life of an individual is that secret place of prayer. Like building a prayer culture in a church these days is just an absolute mission because the devil will do anything to stop a church getting on its knees corporately. And, and we all know, and because you've heard me bang this drum forever, that the most contested place for you personally is the place of prayer because we have a trillion dollar principality and power trying to distract you. And again, as Ronald, Ronald Rollheiser says, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. So what does it look like to fight against that cultural current and to prioritise his presence? To prioritise his presence tomorrow morning. To prioritise his presence as we go to the prayer meeting tonight. What is this? Well, you know, isn't it tragic that, 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 that you know, the church used to be called a house of prayer for all nations and now people go to hospitals and airports to go to places of prayer. <laughs> oh, that's where a place of prayer is. Does that make sense? Like there used to be rooms of prayer. The church used to be a place you come to to pray. Any time in the week. And now the only places like with chapels and that sort of thing are hospitals and airports. Like we've got to change that so that we become places. And here's some exciting news. Brian Heasley, the International Director of 24-7 Prayers, coming to the Bay to speak at Bay Vineyard and to lead one of our prayer meetings and to encourage us in the whole thing of prayer, which is so cool. Um, and we're going to pray tonight. We're going to commit to, to building a culture of prayer. One of the things that uh, I've printed out for you this morning is a 30-page booklet in large font, uh, accidentally, but it's all right, um, which would be very easy for all of, all of you to read. Um, there's a few thank yous, that's good. Um, called How to Spend a Day with Jesus by John Mark Comer. It's over there. As you walk out, everyone's got one. And in fact, one lucky person under your seat today, you've actually also got the key. No, you don't. Joking. <laughs> Everyone gets one. It's free. Um, well, so your tithes are patriots. So thank you. Uh, it's kind of free. Uh, but this, but again, just to, to help fill your imagination, this is not how to spend a retreat day with Jesus. This is how to spend a normal working day with Jesus. And this is just, it's beautiful and you'll love it and it will encourage you. And I just want to get my pom-poms out and say, let's go, friends, as we begin a new year to pursue his presence in the secret place. So our priority is is prayer. And uh, one of the things, initiatives that we're going to be doing this year, if we go to the next slide, is the Pentecost Prayer Initiative. This is part of the 24-7 hat that I'm wearing. We're going to have 10 days of unbroken prayer into the day of Pentecost this year as a church. And everyone's freaking out. That's a lot of hours. And with all the other churches in the Hawks in the Napier region, hallelujah. Uh, so we're partnering with a whole lot of churches, but it's like we're going to pray. For, why? Because the church was birthed out of 10 days of constant prayer. 
So let's go back to the original prayer room and pray and humble ourselves before him and say, Lord, would you come? Lord, we need you. Lord, revive our church. Rewire our culture. Lord, set our hearts on flame for you. So we're going to have a prayer room for 10 days. And then we're going to have Pentecost Sunday where we celebrate together. And we're, we're toying with the idea of having a big combined service with all the other churches on that Sunday night. Um, so this is one. That, but, but we're going to continue to do this. But uh, the dream is that would be people that carry the presence of God. I don't want us doing missional stuff if we're not carrying his presence. I don't want social work. We want kingdom work where people encounter the presence of God and their lives are turned upside down. And what does that mean? It means that we take seriously the call to fight for the secret place so there will be people that carry his presence throughout the day. This will serve you, inspire you. Let's not just read it. Let's live it. Let's, let's live it. Um, all right, I've got so many rants up my sleeve this morning, and so Lord, help me. Um, we'll talk about more of these things. It's okay, Harvey. You're going to be okay. You've got other opportunities. It's not just the one time you get to preach. Whew, okay, let's move on. Be like Jesus. Formation. So what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to, uh, you know, there's, there's many scriptures. This is one of them. But what does it look like to take seriously the invitation um, to, to, uh, to be transformed into the image of God? And how can we partner with God in that? Again, the tragedy is that when we have a transactional understanding of salvation, then we just think, oh, okay, my job is to come to faith so that I can go to heaven when I die. But when Jesus is Lord and we're his, his disciples, that's a whole different thing. Jesus is less concerned about us going into heaven when we die. He's more concerned about uh, getting heaven into us now. So they would carry his presence a whole lot more. So there's all these beautiful pictures in the scriptures around what it looks like. But again, the, the gospel, like, you know, say a prayer so that you go to heaven when you die, is nothing like we see the gospel in terms of how Jesus presented it. He says things like this, repent and believe the good news, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, repent means change your lifestyle. Change how you live. And so this is my absolute, I mean, riffing off John Mark stuff, but it's like to to actually walk into the flourishing life of Jesus, we've got to learn how to follow him, to imitate his example. The life of Jesus is found when our life looks a whole lot more like his life. His way with his truth leads to his life, right? Does that make sense? When we, when we got his truth in our being and we follow his way, but the, this is where Christianity is so epic, is that every single year there's more to discover about his way. There's more to discover. Like, don't let this year be the same as last year and the, and the year before that. Don't be a person who's been turning up to, to church for 15 years, but it's a two-year-old Christian who hasn't changed that much in the last 18 or 13 years or whatever it's been. Like, what does it look like to actually orientate your life around him a little bit more this year? That's the best decision you can ever make. It's the, it'll mean disappointing people and saying no to things. And it'll, but surely I, the dream is that our life would be radically different than the average Joe that's walking around Napier right now. Like uncomfortably different. Rather than us looking like we want what they've got with a bit of Jesus thrown in. That we'd be radically different in every area of our life. Sexuality, money, how we use our time, Sabbath, rest, our, all other things. Oh, calm down, it's all good. So I've said a whole lot of the, uh, this in the many, many times because, again, one of the things in the West is like we've got like this whole idea that somehow if we just listen to enough podcasts, we'll become more saintly. But you don't learn karate by listening to a podcast, right? It's mental. I mean, I've said this thousands of times. Information doesn't equal transformation. 
Information can bring revelation, which is awesome, but it's the application that brings the transformation. That's what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Those who put these words of mine into practice are building their life on the rock. Hallelujah. And so we talk a lot about what does it look like to practice, the way of Jesus. Um, my boys are learning to play instruments. Eli was on the bass today. Well done, Eli. I only noticed one mistake. You did really well. You practiced really hard. And a little in this. Sorry, Eli. Welcome to being a pastor's kid. I had a little chat with Eli uh, the other day because I felt a little discouraged about the fact that it was, you know, there were some mistakes getting played as he worked on the bass. And so I have a little team talk with Eli and got my little preach on, didn't I, Eli? And I was like, Eli, you're not good at anything when you start, but as you practice, you get better. And so, like, Eli wasn't very good at the guitar, and now he's really good at the guitar. I'm really proud of him. And I've got videos of him clunking away, you know, I was like, cool, mate. And now, fast forward a couple of years, mate, he's, he's just, I'm like, proud as punch. It's like, wow, look at him go. And it's exactly the same with following Jesus. It takes practice. So this is where so often we're like, we feel like failures as Christians because it's like, oh, I'm going to have a devotional life. I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And then we fall off the wagon and we feel like failures. Shame cycle. Yay, I'm just the worst Christian in the world. Again, I'm terrible. But how about we change the mentality from this binary, either I'm doing it or not, to simply the mentality of practicing. And if it's a bit of a, it feels uncomfortable initially and you're not very, that's okay because I'm just practicing the way of Jesus. And here's where the analogy breaks down a little bit because the, the difference would be as if somehow Abraham Laboreal, who's one of the most phenomenal bass players of all time, was imparting his spirit into Eli at the same time as him learning to play the bass slowly. Like the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to learn the way of Jesus. So as we practice, he breathes on that and it becomes easier and easier as the years go on. Sabbath initially for me was very exposing of my dysfunction and my brokenness. And I know many people have wrestled with this, but keep practicing. Because it, the, it actually, the exposing is there, for, it's meant to do that. And then if you stay there long enough, it's the conduit of his healing so that you can be still and know that he is God. So that your worth is not caught up in how many bricks you make for Pharaoh, your productivity, but your worth is in who's your, uh, whose you are. That you're God's dearly beloved son or daughter and you're free from having to earn anything. So like all of that, right? So we practice, put it into practice, into the way of Jesus. Here's the reality be like a formation. This is not like an option for your life, okay? Let's just get really clear right now. You are being formed. It's not like everyone has been formed. It's a matter of like who's doing the forming. Are you letting culture form you, social media form you, the news cycle form you, the, the uh, expectations of your boss form you? Like you are spending your days a certain way, like that is forming you. And so formation is not a Christian thing, it's a human thing. So I want to let Jesus help me be formed in his image, right? John Mark again says this, spiritual formation is not optional. Every thought you think, every emotion you let shape your behavior, every attitude you let rest in your body, every decision you make, every word you speak, every relationship you enter into, the habits that make up your days, whether or not you have, whether or not you have social media and if you do, how you use it, how you respond to pain and suffering, how you handle failure or success, all these things and more are forming us into a particular shape. Stasis is not on the menu. We are being either transformed into the love and beauty of Jesus or malformed by the entropy of, of sin and death. We become either agents of God's healing and liberating grace or carriers of the sickness of the world. To believe otherwise is an illusion and to give no thought to this is to come dangerously close to wasting your life. Massive. 
my job. I know that like we have a strong agenda for your life in this church, as you're picking up. And, and, and we've seen people leave our church because of these sorts of sermons, and that's okay. People walked away from Jesus because he challenged them to be disciples, not just to be in the crowd. And it's very interesting in the Bible, in that passage of Mark, you'll notice there's, like, there's the crowd and the disciples. The crowd are present to the teachings of Jesus. They're fans of Jesus, but they're not disciples. And that's a literary device used intentionally in the Scriptures to say, which one are you? Are you a fan of Jesus looking from afar, but not following him, or you are a disciple of Jesus. And like, the reality is that I know what I'm, all this stuff is challenging, but the only reason I'm frothed on it is because it's brought incredible life to me. It turns out that John 15 is true. When you, bear, when you abide and remain in him, it bears much fruit. It turns out that Jesus wasn't kidding, that when we follow him, he is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. But here's the thing. I've had people, many people push back against me around pushing hard on Devo, Sabbath, all these spiritual practices that Jesus himself did, which is why we want to do them. People push me. And I'm like, when I, when I mine in, it's like, people say, I've tried it, it hasn't really worked. When I mine in, the trying normally looks like a week or two max. <laughs> That's not really trying. Give it a good crack. How about you try it for a term and see what happens? I'm going to try and Sabbath for a term. I'm going to try really lean into my diva. Just see what happens to your soul if you give it a proper nudge, right? It's a slow work. It's painful. Humility is the key to following Jesus, though. It would have be soft clay in his arms. All right, let's, let's move on because, again, there's so much. Actually, one last thing. One last thing. <laughs> One last thing. I just felt this over summer a little bit, and I felt this in my heart. If you want to become more like Jesus, deal with compromise in your life. I felt this as we came into this first Sunday. Deal with compromise. As we begin this year, if that's relational compromise, deal with it. If it's looking to drink or porn or busyness or whatever it is, if you know there's some compromise in your life, this morning I ask you to repent, turn away from it, this is what it means to be formed into the image of Jesus. Turn away from that stuff, okay? Heavy word. God loves you. God bless you. But let's just kill compromise. Let's be radical for him. Let's be, I mean, crap. And lastly, to do what he did. All of these things, all of these things, to, to be like him, to, to become like him, to do what he did, to pursue his presence, to be formed into him and to live a, a missional life, all of these things have two dynamics to them in Bay Vineyard. Firstly, there's the individual expression of that. What does it look like for you to pursue his presence, to be formed into his image and to live a cruciform life of love? But there also needs to be a corporate expression of all three of those things. Again, ecclesiology. What does it look like for us to corporately be hungry after, for the presence of God, to corporately have a posture of formation to let him transform us and thirdly, mission. So these are some, some of the things that go on in the life of our church. But the dream is that we would just, there'll be a sense of us bubbling over in terms of a life of love, a cruciform love for others. My mum had an operation in December um, and she had to go in for some surgery. And man, she's just, like, she's just so said yes to Jesus so many times in her life that it's like mission just and, and kingdom stuff flows out of her just because of the years of saying yes to him. And so she's in the hospital, I'm like, you know, how's it going, da-da-da? And she's like, oh, great, you know. And she just tells me a story, about, oh, I've been praying for this person. And, and she's like, oh, I so love hospitals. People are just so open, you know. And I'm like, no, I haven't done too many trips to the, to the hospital, thank the Lord, you know. But I'm like, what a, <laughs> if I do go to hospital, I'm probably going to be having a pity party. <laughs> 
and enjoying just to lie down, you know? It's like, it sounds really good actually, but you know, it's like, but, but there she is in the midst of all of the stuff going on for her, praying for people. And I'm like, that happens when you're just completely orientated around the way of Jesus. And I can tell you story after story of, of, of my heroes in this church uh, and around New Zealand where it's not like they have to get preached up into a little fever pitch to tell their mate that they're a Christian. <laughs> you know, it's like there's just this overflow of the deep, abundant life of God and the kingdom breaks in wherever they go. And guess what? Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. Like, the problem right now is that some of you think that this couldn't be you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus, like, look at the Bible. Are you serious? Like, the most, the people that always think it can't be them are always the ones that God seems to pick. So just, like, if you're thinking that, that's a giant X marks the spot. It's as far as God's concerned. He loves using least likely people. He loves using the foolish things of this world to shame that which is wise. He's just like that. The thing is, like, if you want to become like my mum, you just cannot give up pressing in. You just cannot give up pressing into him. You can't give up. You just got to say yes to him over and over and over again. So, all these other things, we've got to preach to more stuff. This is whatever. I'm enjoying myself this morning a little too much. All this stuff's just in my bones so much, right? It's just like I barely need notes anymore, but then this helps me. Okay, it's not easy to follow Jesus. It's not easy to follow Jesus today. Anyone who says that it's easy to follow Jesus is a liar. It's not. It's not. It's radically countercultural. But this is why I love the band Rage Against the Machine. There's a little bit of Rage Against the Machine in any follower of Jesus. Screw you, empire. We're building the kingdom of God. We are living radically different. And rather than just social media stuff and protesting, we're going to embody the goodness of God. We're going to embody reconciliation. We're going to embody healing. We're going to embody a bicultural journey that sees our country flourish. We're going to embody all the, the goodness of God, right? We're going to live it in lives of blessing. So good. Dallas Willis said this, anyone who says that it's easy to follow Jesus is a liar. Smart man, I just said that myself. He, he, he himself said that the way is narrow. But listen, I love this. But nothing we forego in the cause of Christ. Nothing you give up. Wealth, he will call you to lay it down. You're going to die one day anyway, so it's all empty. You might as well just give it away for the kingdom. Hallelujah. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Wealth, popularity, kudos, not even our very lives can come anywhere close to the return. The price we pay to follow Jesus, whatever it might be, will require for us the most astounding bargain of our lives. Oh, isn't that good? And I'm telling you today, it is true. It has been costly to follow Jesus. It really has. It was costly in my 20s. It's been costly to plant the church. I was very tired at the end of, of last year from all sorts of things. But he is so worth it. <laughs> like it's just, there's no comparison to his beauty and his goodness. And he met me over summer and he told me off about a few things and rebuked me and then healed me on some things and long walks. And I've come back into the year just just making some changes, but grateful for who he is. He's always going to be worth it. He's always going to be worth it. But here's the reality as we begin a year. There's no neutral. There's always movement. You're either going deeper or you're getting distant. You're either going deeper or you're getting distant from him. And I want to encourage you this year to go deeper with him. 
Okay, let's uh, skip all that. Here's, as we come into land this morning, here's five specific things I want to ask you to commit to. We, uh, we do this every year. Uh, so the, if you call baby in your home, here's five things I would ask you to do. This is, there's, there's, it's all invitation. Uh, so there's no hard sell. It's, it's an invitation. There's no PR and all this thing. But secondly, I would not ask you to do anything I'm not prepared or I'm not living myself, okay? So five things I want to ask you. Firstly, I, I want to ask you to practice the way of Jesus. The first thing, to practice the way of Jesus. We're going to talk about a rule of life. We're going to probably change the language there because it freaked out too many people. Um, but we're just going to talk about things like rhythms of intentionality, which is the same thing, uh, but they're slightly more palatable for some people. Like what are the rhythms of intentionality you're going to have this year? We're literally going to have a time in a service where you can just start looking at your year and, and perhaps you need to make some changes like I'm going to make some changes because I'm keen to blah, blah, blah. Practice the way of Jesus. Um, second thing uh, is to engage in community. I expect every person in Bay Vineyard to be either in a huddle, in an upper click, or in a home church. And uh, some of our Harry Hardouts do all three. Um, and some uh, of us don't do all that. <laughs> God bless them. But here's what I've noticed. It's simply this. People that engage with practicing the way of Jesus and then add number two, get changed over the years. And those that don't, don't. We've been doing this long enough now that the people that engage with these things, they work. I just know they work. We know, we're going to do a whole reboot of the huddles because that got wobbly and we've learned some things about how we should have set it up a little bit more efficiently or whatever. We've learned a few lessons, but we're going to reboot huddles uh, with a little bit more accountability. <laughs> some of you guys got a little wobbly. Um, but get to the upper clicks. Get to your home churches. This is the stuff that's going to change you. And we're going to talk a little bit more about why in, in a few Sundays. The third thing um, is simply this. Turn up on Sunday. Oh, my Lord. Are you serious? I have to even say this? Oh, I love hanging out with other pastors. We're at, um, uh, at Josh and Amelia's daughter's Jade's wedding yesterday. And at the reception, I was having a good heart-to-heart with Dan Lander, who's an Anglican vicar in um, Taranaki, a good mate of mine. And we just had therapy together. You know, it was just like, bro, isn't it depressing that like, half the church turn up on a Sunday? You know, it's pretty, pretty yeah, it is, it really sucks. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of bracing myself emotionally. I'm going to preach my little heart out, done all this work, preparing my sermon, but maybe a whole lot of people will be away. Some of them just because they can't be bothered or the weather's a little too nice to go to church or the weather's a little too rubbish to go to church. Um, but that kind of overcast day that's not too hot, well, that's a good church day. And so we might, you know, and it's like, what are the optimal meteorological conditions for our guys to turn up to church? An interesting thing he says, he made this observation that actually for our boomers and older, they're really regular in coming to church because it's a healthy and holy habit and they've just made the decision we're going to be people that go to church. And so some of our younger guys, we need to actually go, no, this is a healthy and holy habit and I'm going to turn up and I'm not going to let my feelings dictate whether I do so or not. I was talking to my good friend Joseph McCauley at, uh, at Marie and Peter's wedding. That was awesome, by the way. Welcome. Hey, Will, Willoughby's are in town. Hey, very cool. That was a great wedding. And uh, me and Joseph had the identical conversation. And it was like, he's a pastor in St. Luke's and Tauranga. And he said, you know this, he said, that the reality is that the kingdom of God advances with the coalition of the willing. So that the church, like your, the, the kingdom advances when there are people like, I'm up for it. Rather than turning up every now and then, I'm going to be regular, and unless something drastic happens, I'm like, you know, I'm going to be there because that's what you do as a follower of Jesus. You don't give up the habit of meeting together. You meet God in this place. It encourages you. I need it, and I'm a pastor. You need it. You're a punter. We've got to, we've got to turn up to church. We all need it. That's right. So turn up to church 
And, and some of you, and like, for, I know for young families with little ones, it's a mission. And some mums turn up and then go into babe preschool and then go home. But here's why you do it, because it's a healthy and holy habit you do not want to get out of. And you, want, and you turn up to church because at the very least you want to model to your children this is a priority. And there's off-ramps to fellowship all the time, but the, the way is narrow and I'm going to choose it to keep consistent in the way of Jesus. I like that I have to turn up to church. It's good for my soul. I'm paid to be here. But I can, I, can I tell you, it's good for you. It's good for you. It's a healthy and holy habit. Come to church. We're formed in the story of God. Fourthly, serve in some way, shape, or form. Um, Luke loves that photo. Uh, and <laughs> I get a little kickback every year when that one pops up uh, because he's looking good. Um, if you want to look like that, uh, you can talk to Luke about how he, how he managed to get so buff, which involves carrying a whole lot of speakers in and out every Sunday. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, hit this too hard because I've, I've hit enough things hard enough this morning. Um, but the expectation is if you call this place home that you serve. And some, we are not countdown providing goods and services. We are a church family who work together in a flat. And we all chip in. And so don't be a stink flatmate who doesn't do the dishes. I had one of those way back in the day. Uh, it was really annoying. But yeah, just contribute because we're a healthy family. So thank you. It's a healthy culture in our church. Thank you. Uh, but let's continue to cultivate a servant heart. And especially we, uh, we, I want to honour all those that help with Bay Kids. What an amazing, amazing privilege that we get to disciple a generation in the ways of Jesus, particularly in this day and age. Give yourselves to that ministry. And we also always need help with packing. We set this all up so that people will encounter the goodness of God. So you're not just moving speakers, you're creating an environment for people to encounter the love of God. It's a holy calling, so be part of it. And lastly, give. Um, uh, that's all I'll say about that. Let's be healthy, healthy vineyard. Let's all be healthy. Uh, I may bang that drum a little bit this year, uh, depending on how well-behaved everyone is. If you stay well-behaved, you won't get it, but if you're not, you will, so, you know, up to you. So, uh, okay. Let's, uh, let's commit this year to the Lord. But I'd... Um, those are the five things that, that, do you want to go back, sorry, Ramon? Um, those are the five things that, that I would love you to say yes to in response, in a sense, to, uh, to this being a healthy community. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. Oh, that's a, yeah, yeah, I know. And like, there's so many things I could do in terms of like, who was it, Andrew? We could, should, we have a pub, should we have a public conversation? Like, I'd love us to have a little chat together. Hello, mate. How are you? You're in church. Anything you need to say to the pastor this morning? No, it's all good. We won't do that. Let's, let's live for him. <laughs> what was that? Oh, was there more, more things going on? Okay. Oh, I love this church. I've been so looking forward to gathering together. Um, and, you know, I got a little discouraged over summer because I got so tired. I was really, really tired. Like, really tired. And, I, and when you're tired, you're grumpy. Jim was very... Stop nodding. <laughs> That was a very, very good nod. Um, you know, and you kind of like, I'm like, oh, like there's something wrong if this is how I'm feeling, right? Uh, and I'm so grateful for the time that we have over summer to rest. But, but then the Lord just begins speaking, like, here's, here's what you need to do, Harvey, to walk into life. And it's like, and then my soul just gets filled with hope because it's like, oh, no. Yes, like, I want to say no to these things and say yes to you, Jesus. Um, and, and it's the best life I could live, is it's to continue to say yes to him. So I just come just like filled with his goodness as we begin the year. 
not because of Sundays, it's because he's met me over summer. And as we start the year, again, like, I'm not worried about church growth or about impacting the community. I am really passionate about this community, being serious about Jesus. All those other things will happen when we're serious about Jesus. So let's stop being believers in Jesus. Even the demons believe in Jesus. Let's be followers of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus. Let's practice the way of Jesus. Let's be disciples of Jesus and learn the unforced rhythms of grace that lead to life. Let's commit to live those deep and rich and beautiful lives filled with love and joy and peace, filled with the rest and presence of God. Amen. Let's start the year. And, and my prayer this morning, like, is that there'll be some practical things. You know, as the Lord spoke to me over some of the things need to stop here, Harvey. You need to stop doing that. You need to modify that, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, oh, I've got room to breathe. I just feel like the Lord wants to speak to every person this morning, and it's like, here's what to stop. Here's what to modify. Here's what to tweak so that Jesus is the priority, so that you don't just rush your way through life with Jesus being bolted on, but he's at the center. Amen.